a dummy half. It's with the halfback, William. Williams goes himself, comes out the other side, gets it to Croker, bounces away from a would-be from De Goyne, puts a kick out wide, looking for Shandaroyal, and Earl is in again. No. Stop it, it's starting to hurt. Rugby League! Rugby League! Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Supercoach Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Williams. The NRL may be postponed, but there's plenty of Supercoach chat to get through to get us through this awkward and frustrating period. Here to chat through it with me is the Supercoach Spy. Spy, how are we, mate? Not too bad, mate. Obviously not a whole lot going on at the moment, so it's all a little bit dull. So it'd be good to talk some footy tonight, mate. Mate, you're an absolute Supercoach fanatic. I know you've had a, a couple of unique, unique ways to get through the period. What have you done so far to, to make up for the lack of sport? Oh, mate, we had a good one on Friday night where me and the boys picked a classic match. In this case, it was an old NBA game with Michael Jordan in it. This week, I think we're doing Rumble in the Jungle. I'm sure there'll be some footy coming up soon, but we all watch it at the same time and just talk about it as if it's live while we all have a beer or whiskey in hand. So I recommend everyone have a crack at that because it's bloody good fun. Yeah, good stuff, mate. Joining me also is the 2019 runner-up. He's coming back for a few weeks' spell, so he should be fresh and firing to go. Is Walson Carlos. Mate, how are we up north? Yeah, good boys. Yeah, so just um, yeah, interesting times, but um, yeah, keen to talk some Supercoach tonight. Yeah, I'm a bit the same, mate. Real keen to dig into some Supercoach stuff. For myself personally, I'm hanging on to the fact that there's racing on at the moment. We've still got the big races at Ramwick and Rose Hill and um, in Melbourne, day one of the championships this week. So I'm hanging by a thread with that. I've been putting on quaddies every day with a few of my mates and doing no good there, but. Um, that's about the only routine thing going on at the moment is I'm still rubbish on the punt. On tonight's episode, we're going to talk about the impact of the postponed season on the buy period. That is massive for Supercoach should the buy period not go ahead. Walson's taking a look at his perfect team that people should be aiming for if there is no buyers to plan for. We're going to start each week going through four clubs a week and doing a club-by-club analysis. We've also got a pretty special chat with SC Playbook contributor Jared Croker, the Canberra skipper, so he's got some good stuff to say there as well. If you have any questions or any content ideas, unique stuff that you'd be looking for or interested in, uh, we're willing to take anything at the moment to keep things fresh for everyone. Hit us up at SC Playbook 1 on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook and we'll get back to you there. Guys, we're going to start off tonight. We spoke a little bit last week about how this postponed season was going to impact things. But one thing that's becoming more and more clear is that the bye weeks are going to be the first things cut. They were the two abbreviated weeks with four rounds, four games, should I say, rather than rounds. Um, you know, and as an overall Supercoach player, everything is planning around the buys. basically. That's going to be irrelevant. The way I see it is we're basically becoming a head-to-head competition this year with no – they're still the overall race, but you can't plan for it. Spy, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, mate, I think it's huge. Um, firstly, if you've started really well, that's that's a massive benefit because there's less chance for people in your rearview mirror to catch up. Uh, I remember years ago there used to be the, the three major bye weeks and then limited games in weeks around that during the origin period, and it really gave thorough super coaches a chance to really make up ground or kick clear ahead of the pack. Then it dropped back to two rounds last year, which was a little bit more difficult because if you started a little bit slow, you only had those two buy rounds to make up ground. Now, this year, if we're looking at potentially no buy weeks, then 
mate, I think it becomes even more difficult to make up lost ground. So it might be a case of having to take extra risks than normal, which, look, could actually be a bit of fun, really make it for a fun season. But instead of just going paying Haas' skipper every week, maybe you look for someone like a Tommy Turbo, Teddy, or even someone like Pappenhausen against some certain sides that you rate him against and really try to make up ground that way. But, yeah, I think it'll be a little bit harder. So I think if you started well, that's really beneficial this year in particular. Um, and if you're behind the pack a little bit, maybe a few extra risks without going crazy, of course. You still want to put your best side on the paddock. But that's probably my initial thoughts at this stage, lads. Yeah, you're spot on. And, and it's it's just changing, changing things completely. And I, for one, don't mind it. It's frustrating as a diehard super coach who does put the hours in and does plan around buyers and pick initial teams based on buyers and that sort of thing because you fall behind early. You know you can make those places up over the buy period. This year, it's just a free-for-all. It's whoever has the best team with the best points, you know, all that planning becomes re- fairly irrelevant. Um, your pods become huge. You know, your captaincy choices become huge. I mean, the person who captains Payne Haas every week for what might be a 15-week competition probably isn't going to win it. They're going to have to nail your your turbos and pongers and clearies on their big week. So it's interesting. Walson, what's your take on it, mate? Oh, yeah, I think I think um, the spy now, the fair bit of it, I mean, it's probably good to be ahead. But in saying that, the makeup of your side is interesting as well. Um, I think it would benefit those people that uh, actually had a lot of nuts on their on their sideline because then you could possibly use your um, VC loop, um, which is, you know, I've always seen as a legitimate tactic. Some people don't, don't consider it at all, but um, that was what I used a lot last year. And, and a lot of the reason why I got up so high was I did now my captains, you know, I think I averaged over, over a hundred or over 95 for my captains, which is pretty outrageous. There's a fair bit of luck there, but um yeah, like I, I think that that comes into it, and then I think also how close is your side at the moment to the best side out there possible? You know, like if it's if it if you're you know six or eight trades away, it's going to take you three or four weeks to get there. If you're you know you you might be coming twenty thousand, but you might have a team that just lines up really well for when you come back off the break. So that's an interesting part of it as well. Yeah, that's it, and. I mean, I find I'm, I'm sitting in about 12,000 and I actually didn't trade. I went against everything I've sort of preached in the past year and this year is about needing to trade early in the, the opening two rounds before those price changes. I didn't trade any at all in the first round because I was happy with my team, which was a little bit frustrating, but I kind of sat back and said oh, I was pretty happy with it. I'm now looking at it, and as you said, I'm happy with my team and where it sits after two rounds. So I'm, I'm not too concerned about it at the moment. And I think for us overall players, every year your aim is probably to finish top 500 to top 1,000. That probably changes a little bit now. I mean, obviously you're still aiming for number one, but when there's no buy periods to get you to get you up through the rankings, you know, if you can finish top two or 3,000 by the end of it, what might be a 15-round comp, you're probably going to be pretty happy with it. So, um, yeah, it's all about starting fast, and that's pretty much everything at the moment. Now, one thing I have seen is that if you're a head-to-head player, you're trying to pick your best 17 as quick as you can, whether that be around 9, 10, 11, 12. You don't worry about buys, etc., which is now effectively what we're all trying to do. Walson, you've jumped in and had 
a bit of a look at what you think the perfect 17 to aim for is, what have you got for us, mate? Yeah, it's not really easy to do because you can't obviously void your team and then put it in. So you have to calculate the salary cap manually. Um, and I lent one of my calculators to one of the boys um, at the school kids and I haven't got it back. So I've just been doing it on my phone, which isn't ideal. But um, the, the team that I came up with was um, my two hookers would be Appy Coruscant and Harry Grant. Um, just, just to clarify, just to clarify, this is this is based on you know you can't have the 17 most expensive players in every position. You're saying you have to be realistic about what you can fit in your salary cap. Oh yeah, yeah. You, I'm still doing it to a 9.8 million dollar salary cap. I think that's what yep. it was. 9.8. Yep. So um, I'm still doing it to the 9.8 million dollar salary cap, and um, and then working off that. So um, basically, you know, if your team doesn't fit into that, I mean, there's not much point talking about it because that's what we're playing within. Um, there will be price rises and that if it actually comes back in, but and you can take that into consideration as well. But um, my theory is that um, Appy Coruscant, for obvious reasons, I think most people see that. Um, there might be some people, I have heard some podcasts where they're still hanging on to Damien Cook, but... Um, for some reason, he's he's just come come out in the way that Souths are playing. He's refusing to really run the ball, or if he runs the ball, he doesn't want to get caught with the ball. Um, so I think Coruscant's proven himself over the two games. Um, he yeah. might might be a bit injury prone, but we'll see how he goes. I think he's in, he's run on hooker, and then Did on the hey, mate, quick side note, quick side note, Tyrone May. Well, I mean, he'll be due back in three rounds, and it's, it's so speculative at this point, especially with all this time ahead of us. Do you see Appy playing 80 when Tyrone May returns? Probably. Yeah, I do. And, and I think Mitch Kenny's um, sniffing around as well. I really don't think they'll change that. So, like, I mean, if, if you, you've you got to consider they're continuing on as normal. The only thing, and I'll come into it a little bit later with one of the changes I've made, is players that might have a propensity to blow out in a break, you know, where they're not, yeah. they're not having the training from um, every day turning up to training. So, yeah, I think you'd look to get those players out. Appy doesn't strike me as one of those players. So um, I I think Cleary, given what he's done in the first two weeks, will be keen to play him 80. And I don't think Kenny or Jerome May will threaten his minutes. You know, it might just be a case of if they're winning big, maybe they take Appy off. But, you know, the way the other thing you got to take into consideration is how well Stephen Crichton's gone too, like as number fourteen. So it's no, it's no given that either of them is going to come into the seventeen for mine. You know, you got Capewell to come back as well, so he's another forward who's pushing for some position. But yeah, in terms of Coruscant, I've got him, and I went Harry Grant on the bench. You know, I'm high on Harry Grant, and to me, he's a legitimate um, play option um, if he plays eight, if and when he plays eighty minutes for West Tigers this year. Obviously, we're assuming that, you know, we're going to get play back this year. Um, what do you think? That's for sure. On the Supercoach Playbook podcast, we're assuming play gets back because if anyone in their mind has it that there's going to be no more NRL for the rest of this year, it's going to be a pretty grim year for all of us. So we're going to hold on to that hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So was there any other hooker options that you boys um, see there? I mean, obviously, Cook's the obvious one, and I know a lot of people um, – you know, would have Braley, but I think we can all see that Braley, you know, Braley's a toiler and he's probably a 30 to 
30 to 50, maybe a 55 ceiling player. Yeah, maybe only- Cam Smith, but yeah. that'd be the only other one potentially. Yeah, if you wanted to load up, um, you could have a Cam Smith, or you know, or, or you could back Cook to get back into form. But I've gone pretty pretty cheap there with uh, Coruscant and Grant. When it comes to the front rowers, I'm sticking with Payne Haas. He's probably just been right on value. Um, I think his break even, yeah, his break even for round three was 73, so he's probably a little bit above value. But um, I think he'll have some big output. I brought in Alex Twal, um, which is. You know, touch and go. Some people would would argue that a couple of those, both of those scores were injury affected. You know, there was a couple of injuries in the um, West Tigers forward pack, but uh, you can only go on an eyeball test. And he looked really good in both games, and he he just seems to rack up the scores. So, uh, what are your thoughts on twelve, boys? Um, Spy, you start off, mate. Yeah, I was chatting about him last week and I said it's just a very small sample to look at. In the past, he's been a really solid customer without knocking out massive scores. That's probably due to not playing super large minutes in the front row there. I think I'd really want to see one or two more games to see if he keeps those minutes. I know there's been a couple of HIAs and other things go on for the Tigers in the first few weeks. So I'm just a little cautious of him. But I did mention to Des last week that it's also a pretty safe play in terms of if you do bring him in, he'll make you some cash, knock out some solid scores, and if you had to move him on after he makes you cash, you can. So there's no real risk there, but I'm just not convinced he's going to be a long-term product uh, is my thoughts. Yeah, he'll be. I'll be giving him another week, particularly after this long layoff, just to see how how he returns and make sure the minutes are there. You know, his base has been out of the off the planet at the moment, so. Pretty enticing, but I'll be giving him another week when we do see them return to action. What else have you got for us, mate? Second row? Yeah, we'll just say on on, on Twal, first of all, is um, if you have a look at his stats, his, his um, you know, his PPM's just been outrageous, you know, like the last few years. So, um, yeah, if he continues to get decent minutes, he'll, he'll score well. In the other front rowers, I had Pat Carrigan which I've got already, and Toby Rudolph just to fit into the salary cap, and he's going to earn you some good money, so could convert to someone else. In the second row, I had um, Jason Tamalolo, Ryan Madison, David Fafida um, as my three run-on second rowers. So I, I think they're the best three scoring second row forwards in the game. Um, and then for my other three, I had... Uh, Eliasa Katoa, I think he'll maintain a spot at least on the bench. He'll earn some money, and he might be a good fourth reserve option. And I had enough, enough Ben Condon, just a young fella from uh, the Cowboys, um, and then um, who's unlikely to get a start, but could be a a, um, a person that you could loop. And then I had either I could go two ways. I could either go Billy Magulius because I was really impressed with him when he got the start, and I think he might have usurped. Um, Jack Williams for the lock spot. Um, so I'd wait on teamless Tuesday for when they came back or Flegler. Yeah, um, I like it all. And, I mean, I, I've been tooting Cam Mosehorn week after week, the entire preseason. He has started slow, but he's still playing the big minutes for mine. But, I mean, from where you're coming from at the moment, 
you're not you're trying to fit it into a salary cap at the moment and and cam may is what 650k sort of thing after a slow start so i do agree that probably madison for feed and town lolo are the top three second rollers at the moment uh, i'm not sure that magulius has jumped jack williams just yet um but it will be interesting spy what do you reckon yeah it's a tight yeah, one um, I, I tend to agree. I think Jackie might get another couple of chances, but they're both pretty talented boys. Magulius probably offers something a little bit different in terms of skill set, so depends what uh, the Sharkies want to go with there. I'll tell yeah, you. Yeah, I, I think the three the three players. If you look at the three players currently in my side that have dropped out, they were Cam Murray, Jai Arrow, and Leilua. The reason why I dropped out Cam Murray is basically because they didn't look cohesive. The Rabbitohs not as cohesive as I thought they'd be. Um, and it's going to take them some time. Um, also dropped out Jai Arrow. I thought he actually looked pretty good in both games. He played limited minutes in the first game. The second game he got moved to the edge, so he didn't score. I think he scored 56 round two, but he could have had a massive score But because um, he was working really well in the middle. So I, I could take or leave Jai Arrow. Um, Leilua is one that I have a question mark over whether he's going to be able to hold his fitness. Um, and control his eating and things like that because um, not 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 to you know cast aspersions on him, but he has had trouble in the past holding his weight to a, a decent level where he could play eighty minutes, and he did really well in the first two weeks. Although his defence dropped off a bit in that second game, but um, you know I think he played eighty minutes in both games, boys. So um, and the other one I dropped out was Liam Knight. For me, he's not what he promised to be. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think well, on that, at least uh, uh, Luciano Lelua's got his level-headed brother, BJ, just to really keep him under wraps and get him firing before round three. <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, I think the one thing, just quickly back on Magulius and Williams, because they've got so many playmakers in the side, the Sharkies, particularly if Matty Moylan's at fullback, who's a very good creative player, along with SJ, they've already got Wade Graham in the forward pack who can create and play as almost a third ball player for that side, I don't think they need Magulius' creative skills at lock. I think they'll be pretty happy with Jackie Williams just as that bigger body at lock. Um, and on Luciano, I own him and I'm stoked with how he's going points-wise, but I, I, I mean, I think if the comp continued this week, he would be looking at a reduction in minutes very quickly. I think BJ's spot would be on the line already. Because in that round against the Knights in round two, that right edge, which we did tip going into the, the season, is just in tatters. They have no idea what's going on. And I, I, I can't see Luciano, if that edge keeps up playing 80 minutes for when the season returns week after week. Yeah, I think Badge would probably persist with them. I don't know. It's, it's hard to know what's going to happen in a shortened season. But, you know, coaches might pull the trigger a lot quicker because – you know, you, you've got to make the top eight and, you know, there's pressure on. But I think if it was given a 25-round season or whatever it is, um, normal season, that he would have had a bit of patience with them because he knew what he was getting. You know, everyone's these blokes play. Like, they knew that there were question marks over them defensively and they know what they can do attacking-wise. West Tigers are what, what I expected them to be, like nothing different. They You know, they're a side that, um, you know, contrary to previous years, you know, it has a lot of points in them, but can give up a lot of points really easily. It's just whether they can maintain more momentum in a game than the team they're playing. And that's it, mate. You've, you've hit the nail on the head. 
if it was a full season, which obviously they planned on when they've done their recruitment and whatnot and their their starting positions to start the year, they they persist with you know your Lucianos and your BJs and thinking, all right, we've got 25 rounds to get this right prior to finals to get the combinations working in attack and defence. But if they come back to an abbreviated season, they're going to be saying, well, we can't be going into a, the finals in two months' time with a shaky edge like that. So, mate, it, it's, it's very interesting to see how it all ends up. But, yeah, Spy, any last thoughts on the second row? I was just going to add in there. Uh, first of all, we'll speak about him later a little bit, but I love Ryan Madison. He's such a good player, super coach and real footy. Um, and just to clarify, anyone who does own Luciano – there's no need to panic on that, um, but it's just something to watch his minutes moving forward when we do get back. Yeah. What do you got in the halves for us, mate? Uh, yeah, in the halves, oh, for both halfback and 5'8", I just I, I, I went with one Nuff and, like, like someone who won't play and then one marquee player. In the halves, it was easy. I went Cleary um, because, for me, Cleary's proven himself. He's had a hard draw to start with. He's been... Um, pretty. Oh, I know. I know. You wouldn't call St George a hard draw, but the the first game was tough against the Roosters. I think he's proven himself. And you know, when you got a bloke that he was on, I don't know, forty six. I was in a meeting at the time. He was on like forty six, and I'd taken a flyer and captained him like Des. He's on forty six after about fifteen minutes. I was starting to get real excited, but I think he's so much upside. He's consistent. Um, someone was pointing to the fact that his base was down this year. That doesn't worry me at all. I think, you know, he, he's he's a solider option at halfback as you can get. Um, so that means I've left out the two, you know, for want of a better word, roller coasters, I guess, in, in SJ and Moses. But I'm, I'm happy to stick with Cleary. 5-8 um, is a bit of a different one, but I, I've gone with Connor Watson. Um, I was waiting for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, Watson, geez. Yeah, the the reason being, and and I and and you, I think most people that watch Supercoach, and and I've said this, I've I've been spruiking him all all preseason. If he can get a start, either in a lock position where he play, you know, sixty five to eighty minutes, or in dummy half, which he proved last year, his scores were unbelievable. He's just a player that, regardless of what you see his game like on the field, he's he's gonna score super coach points because he's an explosive runner of the footy. He breaks tackles, he breaks the line. Um, he's a sound defender, so he gets his tackles up, tackle count up, and he showed he could he could play eighty last year at, at hooker. So I reckon he's the most solid option, you know, over over players like Munster and Cody Walker and. Um, I can't think of anyone in the five eight position who's really set the set the uh, competition alight. Maybe Milford to you know to a lesser degree, but I, I'd definitely take Connor Watson playing ninety minutes. Uh, sorry, eighty minutes of hooker um, for the Knights over Milford. Yeah. Yeah. So, mate, for a bit of context for anyone who's missed the news, Jaden Braley, hooker at the Knights, has unfortunately done his ACL and he's gone for the year. Mate, your your you think Connor Watson will play 80 at hooker? Yeah, I do because I can't see who else they have playing there. I, I don't even know if they've got anyone on their list that could play hooker. You know, maybe they manufacture someone. I mean, like a Lino or um, a, a Cros, you know, Phoenix Crosland, but he's fit. You know, like he's one of the fittest blokes you see. He's robust. I, I can't see why they wouldn't just throw him in there and, and he plays 80 minutes hooker. 
Yeah. Um, Spy, any quick thoughts on the halves? Yeah, I agree. If Connor gets minutes, he's a machine, especially at that price. You can pick him up a lot cheaper than the other guys. Um, but look, for me, I also love Cam Munster. I started with him this year and I just think he's going to be fantastic, along with also Cody Walker, whose upside is very special. So any of those three guys, very good options. Uh, yep. Connor's starting as well. And the beauty of it with Connor is he's played the first two rounds off the bench. So... I mean, from a from an overall perspective, we can have a, a good couple of looks at him at hooker, make sure he gets those minutes and bring him in, hopefully at a discounted rate. So absolutely laughing there. Um, Nate, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on Santa Wing because, I mean, aside from probably David Nofaluma, who you took a flyer on to start the year and has paid up big time, it's a tough position. It is tough. And, and I think there's a lot of ways you could go, but um, I have stuck with, uh, Nofaluma, because even even um, in round two, he got 59. So um, on top of that big game that he had. So for me, he breaks so many tackles. He's going to, you know, there's no doubt he's going to have a game where he scores a 35 or a 45 or something like that. And I'd probably cop that because he's got so much upside and so has that um, that Tigers, uh, the, the, the Tigers uh, right side. So I, I've stuck with Nofo and, you know, you're paying – you're paying top money for him as well. So um, that affects who you can get in the rest of your team. But um, for the rest of my centre wings, um, I've gone Isan Masters. Um, again, you're paying quite a premium price for him, but I think he's shown a- averaging 62 over the first two weeks that um, he's sort of back. He's relevant. Um, the way Holmes is kicking, he might even jag the goal kicking so i mean that'd be a bonus as well but i'd take him even without the goal kicking um i think isaiah yo is a must um at 405,000. he's got a really i think he might have a negative break even so um even if um capewell comes back and eats into his minutes or something changes there um, he's got a negative 29 break even so he's going to earn you some money for a while and you can move someone else in if you want to take a fire on him, but he's a pretty solid option because um, given that, given, you know, given that I believe he's in career best form, I don't think I've ever seen him play as well. Um, I think you got to have him in the side. So what do you think about those picks, boys? I won't argue too much, but I'm not convinced on Isaiah Yo on, and you touched on a bit because of Kurt Capel. And I just think, Kurt Capel, I've said this a few times, but he was in the extended Maroon squad last season. He hasn't signed on with Penrith to play off the bench. And all right, the way things have formulated the first few weeks, he may well play off the bench. But I'm just seeing this logjam of Panthers back rowers in Fisher-Harris, in Viliami Kikau. They rate Liam Martin. They've got Isaiah Yo. You throw Capel in there. I just feel like minutes have got to give at some stage. And... I mean, you did you did touch on it. He's cheap, and he might not be a keeper, but he does look a safe bet for the time being, at least to make some coin. But I really, I don't think he'll be the keeper that everyone thinks he is. So yeah, Spy, what do you reckon? Yeah, I think it's a fair point. Um, but I think tactically, I think you just bring him in because he's going to make you a heap of cash in the interim get you some solid base points in the centre position. And then I think someone just mentioned before, boys, that you can then upgrade him to someone that you really have your eye on in a couple of weeks if you need to because you'll make a heap of cash. It's an easy upgrade with that money. And if he therefore 
If he then continues to kill it, however, and averages 60-odd, then you've already got him at a cheap price in your side. So it's an interesting one. But the only other two boys that I was having a look at were, obviously, Katoni Staggs. He's off to a fire. Um, you and me, Timo, both have rated him for a while now, the young fella, and he's just so bloody good playing at Suncorp in a good Broncos side. He could be anything, so I'd be very, very keen on him. And also, Jermaine Asako started very well, a lot better than I thought he would, so... They'd probably be my couple of candidates for the centre wing position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. I, I had a couple. I had those down there. I, I, I had as my fourth run on. I couldn't decide, and it would have, and it depended on that decision between Magulius and Flegler because there's about a seventy thousand dollar gap in between those two. But I think we worked out that, you know, based yeah. on what you boys said that Magulius might not get that starting spot, and if he did, not have to go with Flegler. So I'd have to go with a cheaper option like. Fui Mayano, which is risky because you'd have um, Sims back from suspension and possibly, I don't know what's happening. No, I don't think DeBellin would be back then, but um, I think he, he's probably in career form as well, Fui Mayano. So I'd need to pick pick someone up as that four-centre wing for relatively cheap. So maybe a Will Kennedy or Bradman Best. But, you know, again, Moylan might be back for Cronulla. Um, I'd say Best will be back for the Knights, but both of those Knights centres have played really well, particularly defensively in the first two rounds, so he might not be straight back into the side. Um, the other one I had was possibly Kurt Mann, but the, the ones that I was a bit iffy about leaving out were, like you said, Spike, um, Asako and Stag been so good for the Bronx, and then um, Mansour and, to a lesser extent, Sione Katoa. Yeah, the the other one I will throw in there, who I'm not suggesting will be top four centre wings by any means by the end of the year, but I own Jesse Ramian and he's only scored 31 and 45 down in two weeks, but he's having a crack. He had 18 runs against the Storm last round. He had 16 runs the week before against the Bunnies. Busted, he's been busting a few tackles, but well down what we expect from him, but his base stats are, are massive for him. And I think playing outside SJ, he can get some huge numbers this year. But I think the the delayed season will hurt him a lot because I think he probably needs a full season to get that combination going and get these big attacking stats. The stop start's not going to help that at all. But I, I quite like Jesse Radman. Yeah, I tend to agree, mate. Tend to agree. Yeah. Um, Wilson, finish this up. What do you got at fullback? Oh, yeah, mate, a fullback, um, I've gone with Turbo. Um, so it was tough. I was tossing up Teddy, but um, it was just too expensive. He was about He's about 65K, maybe 70K dearer than, than Turbo. Um, and I've coupled him up with uh, Pappenhausen. So um, I thought Pappenhausen was really impressive in the first two weeks, although he didn't go for a big score. But I think he's threatening to go for a big score and um, – you know, he's there and thereabouts all the time. He's a player that you get a lot of value out of watching because he's always in and around it. Um, so that would leave me with a side where my bench, I'd have to pick four out of these five for my bench. Harry Grant, assuming he's 80 minutes, um, Pat Carrigan, Flegler, um, Eliesa, Katoa from the Warriors, and Pappenhausen. So it's not too bad. You know, I'd be leaving out one. Pretty decent score. Depending on Katoa, could, he could go back to the bench, I guess. Yeah, nice, mate. Good stuff. And um, Walton's going to have an article on that, outlining all his thoughts. 
during the week or maybe next week. So that'd be a good read. Um, we're going to touch on a few of those fullbacks in a minute. That's why I've cut you off there. Just one other thought with uh, how the postponed is going to affect, affect things, and you touched on it quickly, but, boys, you're going to have to cash in and know, know in the yeah, in the spirit of poor old Kenny Rogers who passed during the week, you've got no when to fold them with your cheapies this year because there's guys who aren't going to be at their peak value, but if we do get a reduced season as predicted, there'll be blokes who you know have got another 100 grand to make, but you're going to have to cut them early, aren't you? What are your thoughts, Spy? Yeah, going to have to absolutely do it. I even think that's a smart play, even in the extended season. It gives you, gives you a chance to get a little, little jump on people. Uh, but obviously, that's enhanced now. You need to really sum up who you think you want to get in at the right time and who you can afford to cut. Um, obviously, you don't want to be cutting someone who's going to make 80K next week. But if you think it's going to be small incremental rises of, say, 10, 20 grand a week, then maybe you just go early and get in one of your guns. Like, for example, Teddy, you might get in Teddy. Um, at the expense of a, a cash cow a little bit earlier, but absolutely going to have to do it. And probably something we should chat about more closer to season re-kickoff, um, but it's a big game changer, absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and guys like that come to mind are these slow-burning cash cows who can be really valuable and have been in the past years um, that are just going to be really hard to hold this year. And the one that comes to mind for me is Zane Musgrove, who's a guy we could see making a couple of hundred grand across the first two or three months before being cashed in before or after sort of the buy period. They're just going to be useless because they'll peak when the season will be done, so it'll be too late. Anyway, let's get into – we're going to start doing four clubs a week, uh, analysing the key players from each side and hopefully get us um, set for when the season does resume. We're going to start with the Parramatta Eels who – they're a bit of a curveball. They're hard, hard to analyse at the moment because they had that week one win over a gritty dog side where basically all their super coach players flopped. Week two against the Titans, all right, most of their players delivered from a super coach perspective, but I'm not convinced that that is worth going off at all because the Titans, poor old fellas, they were putrid, particularly that right edge defence of Bryce Cartwright and Ash Taylor who... Mate, seriously, if Bryce Cartwright's starting in your back row, you're not going to make the top eight. He can come back to form, but he's a long way from it at the moment. Let's start with Mitchie Moses. 32 week, 108 on the weekend. Kicked nine goals in that 108. And again, it was against a Titans goal mind. What are your early season thoughts on Mitchie Moses, Spy? Yeah, I started with Mitchie. Um, I was very happy in the second week against the Titans that he did what I hoped he wouldn't turn up against them. Look, he's, I don't think he's a long-term play for me. I'll certainly be looking to get to Cleary in time. That was my initial plan. When I do that now might depend on whether the jaw is rejigged or anything like that. But at the moment, he's playing some pretty good footy. Uh, his confidence is reasonably high. His goal-kicking is immaculate. So he's playing some good footy, but I don't think he... He'll probably be a long-term guy for me once Cleary becomes available. So, Walson, can you get your thoughts on Mitchie Moses and double up, double down on the halves, should I say, because Dylan Brown's a guy you were keen on in preseason. Went 35 week one, 123 on the weekend against the Titans. Scored 35 in base, which is ridiculous, mate. What are your thoughts on the para halves? Yeah, kicking myself a bit with the Dylan Brown one because – when I looked at Paro, I knew that their draw would toss up some good scores for someone, and it, you know he's really one that's cashed in, particularly against the Titans. Um, I don't know whether that'll be sustainable, but he's looked good. He's, he's looked really good. Um, Moses is. Oh, I've got Moses and Cleary. 
Um, I'll probably ride Moses. You see, it's all dependent on the draw, I guess, because um, if the draw gets rejigged, I mean, you know, Para might not have that great run that they had. So, um, but I'll ride Moses for a couple couple of games, and then I'll look to get rid of him, and obviously get. Yeah, you know, I'm keen to get Connor Watson in as well. So uh, into the five eight. So his money, I'll nuff him out and bring in Connor Watson. That's my plan. Yeah, nice. And all of a sudden at the price, Dylan Brown, you know, you don't want to go off one week, but, you know, you called all preseason that you like the looks of him. He's gone big now with a, a massive score. It's just so hard to get a gauge on with that Titans outfit against the Titans outfit, should I say, because the big thing about Brown and the big thing about Moses was, right, does Moses get all the ball and dominate the play? Brown got a lot of ball on the weekend, but it was against that edge, again, of Cartwright, Cartwright Nash Taylor, which any coach is going to exploit. So it went down that Brown edge. Is that going to continue? I don't know. And and that leads into my next point of Blake Ferguson and Mike Acevo. Fergo, who's gone 37 and 43, but we love Fergo in Supercoach because of his base stats. He's had 32 points average in base, which is pretty serious numbers, just not crossing the stripe yet. And then Sevo, who's gone 27 and 63, who I think he scored once from memory. Again, guys, I'm trying to get a gauge on whether Moses will dominate all the play, whether it'll be a split between Moses and Brown. Spy, how do you see that playing out? Because it has a big impact on Fergo and Sevo. Yeah, I'd be interested in Wilson's thoughts after this. But for mine, I think they'll share the ball a little bit. I think they're pretty high on Dylan Brown, as they should be. Dylan Brown also plays on Sevo's edge, who they're going to love to get the ball to. Gutho loves to sweep to the left as well. So I think in that sense, the, the footy's going to be reasonably split between the pair of them. They also link up from time to time. So I don't think you can look into a power edge by any sense. But I do think when it comes to someone like Blake Ferguson that a lot of that good finishing ball, especially off Gutho, comes on the left to someone like Micah Sevo. They look, I haven't been big on Fergo all preseason or for a while now. He's he's rock solid, as you mentioned, in base stats. And he's not going to hurt you too badly. But, look, he's worth over $500,000. There's blokes underneath him in price, like Staggs, Sarko, Isaiah Yo, uh, Mansour. There's a heap of them. So, for me, I'm, I didn't start with Fergo. I sort of warned a little bit against him to start the year, and I'm going to stick with that. I think he'll be okay, but I just think there's much better options, and I think Sevo is going to be their real damaging finisher with Fergo to get. He'll still get his tries and all that, don't get me wrong, but I just think Gutho and um, that left edge might be a little, little bit more dominant when it comes to finishing. Thoughts, lads? Yeah, Wilson, really just on your thoughts on, on the split between Moses and Brown. Yeah, um, well, first of all, I'll just say, I, I tend to agree with Spy... Um, I, I spent a lot of time studying Parramatta because the draw was so soft at the start of the year, and I, and I couldn't, I couldn't make myself take any of their outside backs. And the reason was is I feel like they can go on a tear at some stage, but they generally come back to the mean. Like they, you know, they're not players like a Mansour, Bloomer, and that who can have, you know, a lot of tackle breaks. When you're talking about the halves, um, I, I, I actually agree with the Spy as well because. Um, it, Moses Moses is a player that at the moment plays. He's playing too lateral. Like he he runs and he runs on an angle towards the, the um, corner post. Um, and if you talk to any coaches, like that's not how they really want their half to play. They actually want their half to square up at the line. And Dylan Brown's really good at that. Like he can catch a ball 
wide off the ruck off um, Reed Marnie or whoever's playing dummy half, which is another issue that they may have, although he might be right by the time they come back. But um, And he plays really square into lane, you know, lane playing short and then someone out the back. And, and he just creates so much space playing that way. He looks like his pure football ability, He he's a really good player to watch. Like he reminds me, he's sort of like a Kieran Foran, but with way more time on his hands. He, he never looks rushed and, but he squares up the line really, really well, and he's a strong runner too. So I, I think he's going to see a lot of ball this year. Mate, seeing a halfback just run dead square at the line, options inside and out, is just the most mesmerising thing in rugby league for me. I absolutely love it. And then you see when Mitchie Moses drifts across and drifts across, and when something comes out of his bum – one in 20 times. It looks flashy. It looks really good because there's blokes going everywhere. But, mate, just a direct runner. And, you know, Kieran Foran's the best in the game at it just about at the moment. It, it just looks unbelievable. So, yeah, I like that. Um, quickly, yeah, a few more at Parramatta. They're the big one tonight we're touching on. Wonga Blake, you don't need to spend too much time on him, but he had that season in 2018 where he averaged 59 points per game, which is hardly breathtaking. He scored 29 and 19 to start the year against pretty rubbish sides. They went massive on the weekend, and he scored 19 points. I don't really understand. He's never averaged above 42 outside of that 2018 season. He bust tackles. He has okay base stats. He just cannot translate it to super coach, can he? What are your thoughts there, Spy? Yeah, I've um I've barely looked at him my whole. Supercoach career because, as you said, he just can't seem to produce the numbers. I'm not exactly sure why, but yeah, mate, he just he just can't get it done yet, can he? Yeah, mate, do it. Uh, and whilst and Ryan Madison again, there's not a heat we need to say, but we've already touched on him a little bit. But averaging 74 points per game, averaging 50 in base, which isn't through the roof, but he's also had a oh, sorry round two was high scoring for him, round one wasn't, so that sort of flips base stats on its head a little bit. Um, You've already said you put him in your top three. You didn't start with him, but you'll be looking to get him in pretty quickly, I'd say. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, he'd, he'd probably be one that would be tough to get in. I mean, like I could do a straight swap with Murray and probably make some money on him. Um, you know what I'd love, boys? I, like, I, I'm, I'm high on Madison 100%. You, you know what would be great is if they left you with um, 35 trades or whatever you had left and – you got to spend all of those trades of the um, round that you missed. How good would that be? That'd be oh, lovely. <laughs> like you know, but, you know. So say if you miss, uh, say if you miss ten rounds, you have you have twenty trades there which you can use in one round before you start. We should toss that up to the super coach. But, Catch things uh, up a bit. You've just. I thought I was a hero when I saved two trades in the first round for the first time ever. We're going to come back now and there's going to be like trades split in half and you're going to need to use every one of them. And I've just achieved nothing by saving those trades. So. <laughs> oh, I, I actually only used one trade in my second week, which goes against like I believe you should trade as much as you can. But I got too committed to a couple of Warriors players and hopeful and things like that, which is probably going to be my downfall this year. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, well, I, I just reckon that'd be awesome. Like it'd open it up so much if they said, "Yeah, okay, we're going to leave you with, you know, thirty-five or thirty-six or thirty-seven trades, whatever you got, but you can use twenty of them before the next round." <laughs> oh, mate, I'm happy my team. Let's not suggest that at all, boys. Let's <laughs> move on to Newcastle Knights. We're we're taking ages here because we always do. And we always run overtime. There's nothing wrong with that. 
the Newcastle Knights. Caelan Ponga, 82 points per game in his first two rounds. A few attacking stats, but nothing over the top. He has two tries. He's only got one line break. There is only major attacking stats. The big thing for me, 19 runs per game averaging. Spy, where does he sit in your in the fullback echelon for you so far? Has he jumped uh, any of the teddies or turbos or anyone? Has he dropped? Well, he hasn't dropped, but what do you reckon? Yeah, I think the biggest one, as you mentioned, is how much he's running the ball in the first two weeks. Week one, it was pouring rain and windy, so he's probably forced into that a little bit. But week two, he ran the ball plenty against the Tigers. So that's huge because as a result of that, he'll bust more tackles, hopefully get more line breaks, offloads, all the rest. One thing I will take away is his new goal-kicking technique he was using the last match against the Tigers was absolutely horrendous, and he missed about four sitters or reasonably easy ones. So I sure hope he sorts that out before they get back into business. But I know he's such a good player. He's such an excitement. People get annoyed sometimes at how hyped up he is, but I think that's for a reason. He's an absolute gun. We saw what he did to New South Wales in Origin last year. I love him. In terms of where he sits, I probably have him, Tommy and Teddy up top remain, I think, for me, and then probably Ponga alongside Pappenhausen for me. That's how high I am on Pappenhausen. I think he's just unbelievable. So that he's probably still about where he was, but a little bit happier now just based on how much he's running. Yeah, I think Ponga's jumped to a pretty clear number three for me. You're right with his goal kicking. He's starting to stab a little bit, but that's uh, right. As long as he knocks over... One thing I will say about Ponger is on the weekend against the Tigers, he had a try that Spyro can – you've got no speed about you. You would have scored that try against the Tigers where BJ shot off the line. Ponger caught it, looked up, five minutes out from the line and just went, what has happened here? Only something that BJ Leilua could do and he just strolled over. It was outstanding as an owner. Uh, <laughs> Watson, what are your thoughts on Caelan Ponger? Yeah, I always. I love, always love Ponger, you know. Um, and he was in my team all, all last year. Um yeah, I think if you went with Ponga Pappenhausen, you'd be really happy. The only issue is, um, unlike injuries, you know, he's still going to have that two-week suspension when he comes back. So that's 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 the reason why I didn't bring him in. If, if he didn't have that two-week suspension hanging over his head, I would have brought him in instead of Turbo probably. I'll just check, lads. I think he may have taken one week today, which is a lot better than two, that's for sure. Cause oh, did he? Okay, yeah, yeah, right. So that, that's big, and you might be able to hold him for a week now rather than potentially moving him on to someone like Tommy in a shortened season. So, yeah, watch that space. I think he might have taken yeah. a week. Well, that yeah. sort of brings brings that open the option. I mean, we're talking like it's going to be next week and it might not even be this year, but um, I would probably bring in someone to make some money um, for that week and then, you know, and maybe that burns two trades, but I'd probably bring someone in to make some money. Might be a jewel that you could move into the centre wing and then um, and then actually, you know, bring Ponger in when he's coming back so he gets those price rises and comes straight back in. Yeah, and that's sure. it. And when we look at, um, again, you, everything we, we talk about, you sort of something new pops up about how this postponed season is going to, going to change things, and that's it. If... If it's a full season and he gets two weeks, say, all right, two weeks, nothing, whatever. We'll, we'll play it out, wait it out, be patient. So they come back and it's a 12-week season, thinking that's two weeks where I couldn't have a Tom Trebojevic in my team. So all of a sudden you're trading Caelan Ponga, which you'd never do the way he started, money to be made. So that's just another thing. Um, I was going to touch on the center wing cheapies at the Knights with Shibasaki and Aruchiwala, Kurt Mann, who are all doing good in their job security. But look, we're no further along there. We don't know how 
where they sit in the pecking order now after the Knights are two and two. So do they want to change that for Bradman Best, uh, for a Phoenix Crossland who will be fit and ready to go in return? We don't know. Uh, I would like to touch on David Clemmer because he's just going through the roof this year in completely different circumstances to what we envisioned. He's only averaging 49 minutes per game, which is a massive drop on last year, but he's averaging 71 points per game. Lads, he's, start, he's going at 1.45 points per minute, which in context, the best sort of forwards in the game go at about 1.1, 1.15 points per minute. So he's just going off the charts. Wilson, what are your thoughts on, on Clem? Yeah, I wonder if that's sustainable. But, yeah, no, he, he's playing outstanding um, footy. And, I mean, you can't knock him. So um, I don't I, – like I said, I mean, he. I think he's thrown a few offloads, but he he doesn't ever – he doesn't ever seem to do the pre-line passing, which would open up his game a fair bit. I think he did one maybe in the in the second last round last year and gave it was a try assist because no one was expecting him to do it. But, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, if you look at his offloads, round one against the Warriors, he had four offloads, so he got 16 points from that effective offload, and then two against West Tigers. So that bumps his score up a fair bit. But, yeah, he, he's you're getting what you paid for if you go Clem. Yeah, exactly right. And then another a sneaky cheapie who's really come under the radar is Jacob Saifidi, who's scoring at 39 points per game in 35 minutes a game. He's currently got a negative 13 break even, so there's good good coin to be made there by the looks of it. Um, and, look, I don't want to get into to it too much because we don't have enough time, but I'd be seriously looking at someone like Jacob Saifidi over, say, an Emre Guler, who I think is going to potentially – his minutes going to be cut big time on return with John Bateman back. Spy, Jacob Saifidi, come from the clouds a little bit. Yeah, I'd have to agree. His security seems pretty good. He's I didn't realise how cheap he was, actually. And if you can keep those minutes up and rock along and just make you some money while not playing, it could be pretty useful going forward. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the Manly Seagulls, we've spoken about Tommy Chaboyevich. He's got a break-even of 126, so... I'm just hoping that we can get another one or two weeks of lowish scores off him. And then Pappenhausen can hopefully get a few big scores in that time and there'll be an easy little switcheroo there. But we'll wait and see. Adam Fanua Blake has come back. It was a bit of a shock selection for, for round one. Scored 39 and 64 in 54 minutes per game. So his minutes are about on par with what he's done, what he did last year. Had 60 points in base on the weekend. When I say the weekend, obviously round two. Um, boys, AFB, he's a seriously elite front row option when the game returns, isn't he? What do you reckon, Wilson? Uh, yeah, I just uh, – at his price, I can't have him this year. I love him. I, you know, like I've said, you know, a number of times, I think he's close to the best front rower in the game. Um, but I can't consider him this year at his price, you know, so that's it's as simple as that for me. Yeah, I don't mind him. And because – because he was in doubt for round one and wasn't, wasn't expected to play, his ownership's really low. Hopefully, he's one of these players who, who can get a fair bit out of this postponed period and, and be up to scratch match fitness-wise on return. The thing I like about him compared to a David Clemmer is that he can jag attacking stats. He's pretty good light on his feet for a big fella, and I think he's got a pretty decent ceiling on him. So I don't mind him as a smoky one on return, but obviously we'll have to wait and see what minutes he plays when we get back. Um, ditto Marty Tapao, who's 
same minutes as last year, same score as last year. Pretty well to a T what he's done last year. So we can skip him. Um, lads, any interest in Jake Chaboyevich who's averaging 57 points per game with 57 base points per game and he's playing his 80 minutes? Bit of a pot on return spy or not? Yeah, look, definitely don't start with him. Um, I wouldn't be bringing him in just yet. Uh, look, the thing is, he's not running it as much as he did a couple of years ago. That's his biggest thing. If he starts to run the ball more once he's fit and healthy, then absolutely. He'll rack up his tackles. Uh, the attacking stats at times will come, but he's just not running it enough for me just yet to be to be worthy of going into my side. Walson, do you see Gerbo being a top five second row by the end of the year? Uh, top five, that's a fair question. Um, I don't think so. I mean, like, I think he'll be there and thereabouts, but um, yeah, the problem with Gerbo, and I've said this before, I mean, absolutely no disrespect by it, but he's a bit like James uh, James Graham for me. Uh, he's He looks slow, um, and he was previously like a ball playing forward. I think he plays a good role in that side and what he does is important for him. But um, I, I don't think his game's improving. I think it's, it's sort of receding to some degree. Wow. Harsh, harsh words from Walton Carlos. Oh, <laughs> like I just call it as I see it. I don't like, I don't, I'm not saying like he could be, he's going to be a solid player for years to come and that's the way he plays and that, and maybe, you know, he played a lot. You, you don't know with these type of things because I, I thought similarly of Jerome Hughes like last year and then you find out he's played injured for, you know, six months or nine months. So, you know, you make all these judgments based on what you see. It's just, you know, an eyeball test. But for me, I, you know, I've seen a bit of footy and I just I, I feel I feel like, um, I don't know, like do you boys feel like he looks a bit slow? out on the field compared to the rest of the players or not? Yeah, no, I don't um, – oh, you guys first, Tim. Right, um, I think – I think you've noted on that. I just don't think he's got – let's avoid – not worry about Supercoach, but NRL, I don't think he – he's not a flashy player. I think early in his career when he was linking up with Tommy with those – the ball playing and their combination, which was so swift coming into the top grade, I think that was probably – an unrealistic expectation of what we, we could get from him for the rest of his career. Mm. Once once teams worked out his play, and probably even more so the way they worked out Tommy's play and his support play in and around the ruck, they've shut that down, and it's shut down Gervo's attacking capabilities to a big degree. So, you know what? He hits hard, he lifts in the big moments physically, he's a very solid defender, um, he offers that ball-playing role to take a bit of pressure off, I mean, in the past, they've had guys like Lockie Croker, Jackson Hastings there outside DCE, and DCE's needed that support as a ball player. Um, yeah, yeah. I think, you, I think you've summed it up, Timmy. Like, I, I, and, and I probably didn't nail it with what I said because he's an elite defender. He's still one of the best defenders in the NRL, and, and that's you know, the basis of his game. But similar to Graham, like if anyone saw – and that's why I keep – you know, making the comparison to James Graham. If anyone saw James Graham play in some of those early tests he played and some of the Super League games, like he could jag some tries and he was a, he was an attacking threat. I don't ever feel like, like Jake Trebojevic is going to jag tries, whereas I think maybe a year ago or two years ago he might have jagged somewhere between six and ten tries for the season. I could be wrong, but I feel like 
it's gonna he's gonna be a player like a bit like Tolman and James Graham that's gonna struggle to get, you know, two or three tries a year. Yeah, and it's yeah, not I think a, what you're saying it's, it's is not uh, it's not a discredit to him. It's just saying that that's what his style of play is gonna going to evolve into him as he goes throughout his career. Yeah, right? yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, I was just going to add that I actually completely agree with you, boys, in that teams aren't necessarily going to fear Jakey Trevojevic from attacking sense, but what he does offer to a side, adding width in his passing game and certain things like that are fantastic. He'll support play well and pick up sneaky tries in that way, and he hits as hard as anyone, in, especially in the big moments. But, yeah, they're all fair points on, on him as a player. Yeah, he'll win the coach's award every year for the rest of his career because you'd love to coach him. Might not be best and fairest, might not be most improved, but he'll be the coach's award every year. Boys, we'll quickly touch on the Warriors because we're running out of time, but I am keen to get Walson's thoughts once again because he's a Warriors fan. You've got some strong thoughts on these guys. Quickly start with RTS because I've said for a while now that I really don't think he's in the same class, Supercoach class, that is, of Teddy and Turbo and Ponga. He started the year with 42 and 38. Walson, I, I just don't think he's got anywhere near the ceiling of these other guys in the fullback role. Yeah, you might be right. I mean, I, I think you, I think you probably are right. Like the Warriors haven't, so like their first two games were, you know, borderline abysmal. Like the attacking that they showed, they they showed hardly any attack. And then, um, they they said they were going to come out with this new game style, but I couldn't see it. It was based around Blake Green again. I don't, I don't like being disparaging of players, but we're we're here like to comment on on footy and how we see it. And to me, he's a player that's probably past it a little bit, you know, like I, I feel like the game, when he gets the ball, the game slows slows down and, and he gets caught a lot with the ball and hit half the time when he's trying to pass it. And um, he just seems slow to me. I don't know if we can play a little bit deeper, but um, that, then not, hardly any of the ball went to Chanel Harris-DeVita. So, um, that that all affects RTS's game, and they've tried to get him into a more attacking role. When realistically, he's your best player. I don't understand that. Get him to touch the ball as many times as he can in a set, even if it is two or three times. You know, so um, yeah, they, they got they got some issues. The Warriors. That's it, mate. Um, and I mean, I could talk talk about them for days in the way they run their halves, the Warriors. But we don't really have time. But just the, the one thing that I don't think. NRL coaches utilise enough these days. They're so focused on playing left and right side halfback, which is fine and it's the easy way around it. But I think when you've got a guy like Blake Green who, who can do a bit of organising but shouldn't be pressured into creating because that's not his game, particularly not these days, play him as a first receiver, let Chanel Harris-Tavita play left and right side and get touches out the back and him feeding two of us a shake every time. Like it just doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. But anyway, that's just my thoughts. Um, Spy, what do you reckon? No, mate, this takes me right back, and we obviously can't chat about it now. But when they let Sean Johnson go, there's nothing I love more than turning on the Warriors on a sad Diavo at Eden Park, or sorry, buddy, Mount Smart Stadium, and watching Shawnee Johnson carve up for the Warriors. Then they let him go after they had a really good season, made the finals, and they've been pretty ordinary since. So, look, in real footy and super coach footy, I'm just very disappointed with the Warriors at the moment. Real big letdown. The only two shining lights would be Katoa and Tanua Brown at the moment in my side, the cheapies. But outside of that, pretty pretty upsetting, mate. Yeah, yeah I think I think you're now that there, spy. But yeah, I'm with you too, mate. Like, 
let Neste go. Like, as injury, you know, yeah, he had some injuries and, yeah, he was precocious and that, but, you know, they, they didn't they didn't value him as a marquee half, which he is, you know, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah that's disappointing. Then, they never got anyone back in return. That was the thing. They, it's not like they brought in another gun. They've just basically done, gone with young blokes and Blake Green, so I just don't understand it. Yeah. Um, last point on at the Warriors, speaking of Katoa and Tanua Brown, uh, Katoa averaging 58 minutes, Tanua Brown averaging 40 minutes, both scoring really well. Just a quick one, Walson. Um, Jazz Tavanga coming back into the mix. There's another bloke coming back into the mix who I don't know off the top of my head. I've forgotten. Any further idea on how you think these guys' minutes will will work when these guys return? Nah, I've got no idea really, to be honest. So I think yeah. it's he's one of those coaches that's a bit it's a bit of a lottery. And like even if you think that you know the best way that it should play out, it seems to go a different way. And I've not been able to work it out the whole time. But Katoa, to me, if they're going to have a season, which the Warriors appear, even if it's a shortened season, they appear to be having a development season. Um, I don't understand why you wouldn't leave him there. Um, he's, he's a ray of, like, sunshine for them, you know, in two pretty dour losses, you know, where they've lacked attacking spark. Um, he's raw as. I think he's played less than 10 games rugby league in his life. So um, I can't see why he wouldn't stay in there. To know a Brown, um, he's a different kettle of fish because he's promising as well, but he has defensive deficiencies, not in the respect that he doesn't get his body in front, but he he struggles to get players. He struggles a little bit in the wrestle, and like in, in terms of he's a little bit raw. So if you watch him closely, I think, you know, he may need to spend some time um, in reserve working on honing his technique, similar to what Jason Tamalolo did early in his career. So um, I'm not sure whether he's, his spot's safe, but I think Katoa should be. Yeah, I'm with you. And, and they sort of, in that round two, they did start with Katoa on the edge. They played, they played Adam Blair at lock. So I see Tavanga coming back into that middle rotation. You know, see the Warriors open to you're not going to give up on your season. That's ridiculous. We don't know how long it's going to be, but I see them potentially looking forward to 2021 already. I know that's a harsh thing to say after two rounds of football, but going, we can blood Katoa for the rest of this year, however long that might be, um, give him good minutes. And I think Tanua Brown's probably the one to see a regression in minutes. Um, guys, I had a chat with Supercoach Playbook contributor Jared Croker, the Cambridge skipper today. Uh, here's what he had to say. Croak, you're making your Supercoach Playbook podcast debut. How are things going for you at the moment, mate? Yeah, pretty good. Thanks, mate. It's um, obviously a bit of a tough time and a difficult time for everyone. So we're sort of isolated um, at home, but trying to keep yourself active and keep the brain and the body ticking over, mate. But uh, yeah, it's obviously difficult times for everyone. Yeah, and it's sort of it's, a, it's an awkward period for everyone, rugby league and outside of rugby league as well. Um, how big a concern sort of player welfare going into the next couple of months? The boys just being in, in, in a real sort of yeah, an odd position. Yeah, it's tough, mate. It's, um, it's like I said, it's tough on everyone. Um, you know, it's certainly a, a first for me, mate. It's um, you know something that I've never been accustomed to or never had to, to deal with. But at the same time, I don't think anyone in the world's ever had to deal with it. So it's it's, it's a new one and it's it's bigger than the game, unfortunately. And um, 
yeah, look, it's it's tough and tough on uh, tough on everyone, mate. It's tough on the staff. Obviously, staff and businesses have been shut down. So, um, yeah, look, it's it's not ideal, mate. But um, unfortunately, it's still the world we're living in at the moment. And um, I just hope that um, you know, everyone's abiding by these these isolation rules. And uh, it genuinely does look like it's it's helping already. So uh, if we can stick to them for a little bit, then um, yeah, who knows. Yeah, that's it. May as well be positive about it. And I suppose the Raiders as a club, it's still very early days, but how are you boys or how's your club dealing with it at the moment as far as like what have you been advised to do training-wise and that sort of thing? You're still you're training in isolation or you able to get a couple of what little groups together at times? Yeah, well, we're not allowed to anymore. Uh, obviously, we, we've just got to isolate together, uh, isolate it at home and we, you know, you can't be in groups of two or more really, I think the new law is, so... Um, yeah, we're just doing stuff at home. There was a little period there last week before they closed everything off where we were able to to, to get in just a group to three or four or whatever and, and do some stuff together. But, um, you know, that's that's gone now too. So, um, yeah, look, we're at the... Um, we're pretty much just self-isolating. Just, you know, I'm doing sessions at home, gym sessions at home. And, um, um, you know, we they're, 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 we've got a little app that we use. We use it at training anyway, which um, which is quite easy. So um, they, they've got some programs on the... Um, yeah, online for us to do. Just some, they're pretty straightforward, body weight sort of weight sort of stuff. And then um, if you can find somewhere close by to go for a run, then you, you go for a run as well. There's a, there's a running program there as well, and um, just to be group message basically with uh, with everyone as well. So um, yeah, look, it's, it's different, but you got to try and uh, manage it as best you can. Yeah, nice. And I suppose a few of the boys, and this would be particularly a lot of for a lot of the boys at the Sydney clubs, and I suppose Melbourne, but. There'd be blokes living in inner city apartments that might not have access to gyms and that sort of thing. Um, how how are the boys getting access to that sort of stuff at the moment? Is it just about finding ways to ways to go about it, or makeshift sort of weights, or what are they doing? A bit of both. I mean, you've got to find um, find your way around it all, and um, you know, find out your best you know, best measures possible. I guess um, I know a few of the boys um, were able before it all you know, locked down. We're able to borrow a bit of gym gear, and a couple of boys already had a. A bit of gym gear of their own at home. I know I've got a little bit of just dish your basic stuff downstairs that uh, that the wife has. So um, obviously it's it's a little bit makeshift, but like I said, a lot of it's sort of just doing your body weight stuff and uh, keeping your body moving more than anything. And um, yeah, a couple of the boys have got a bit of a home gym set up where they can they can get a bit of stuff done, mate. But um, it's still in the early days. We don't really know how long it's going to last, and um, I'm sure the home gyms will get a everyone will get over them pretty quickly. So um, hopefully it's not too long. Yeah, bloody oath, mate. Here, here. And um, so, I mean, look, we're expecting it to be at least a couple of months minimum away from getting getting a game again. How long do you think, say we do have two or three months off, how minimum a pre-season do you think you're going to need to get back into sort of, I don't know if you'd say shape or what, but be ready to play a game of football again? Um, yeah, look, I... Personally, um, with, you know, been through a lot of pre-seasons and uh, yeah. never, never playing rep footy, so I'm always there you know, <laughs> November. So I don't get uh, I don't get to come back after Christmas like all the Poms and Kiwis do. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Look, personally, I think four to six, you know, four weeks. I, I'm normally pretty well fit after four weeks of pre-season. Um, obviously, there's a lot more sports science around that. Um, you know, your, your soft tissue injuries. You know, you our, our sports scientist, you know, prides himself on getting the K's in our legs so we've got good good results in regards to soft tissue injuries so um, and we've been quite good at that over the years with our soft tissue injuries so it's uh, personally fitness wise uh, you know uh, in, you know a good four or five weeks of pre-season you, you know I'm pretty well fit and, and you know physically ready to play um, and mentally but 
um, you know, saying that I've got a bit of a baseline too after um, so many pre-seasons and off-season. You sort of know, your body knows, you know, how to handle it all and, um, you know, get yourself right for it and, and mentally as well. So that'll be the big challenge is um, getting back mentally, mentally and physically fit. But, um, you know, in, in a weird way where we were sort of, you know, rock hard fit for round one and then, you, you know, you all of a sudden you've played two games and you got to go back and start all again sort of thing so that'll be the tough part um and the other the harder part of that is not even knowing so uh, when it's going to happen so um yeah per, to answer your question long story short um uh, for me it's probably about four weeks of you know good hard training yeah nice mate that's interesting to say it's all it's all sort of aside from the mental side of things very much injury prevention and then the soft tissue and getting your body right to go for the rigors of you know a, a match scenario yeah look it's um like i said it's something now you know, trying to pride yourself on a soft tissue injury and you know there's we you know we, we sit there and wonder why we're doing 10 800 sometimes in november december but and you know you feel like you're not running fast enough to get anything out of it but um essentially it's it's pretty good for your soft tissue apparently but um try telling me that halfway through them i don't agree with it but um it must be working <laughs> we've, we've been pretty good with it so um yeah look, there's a lot of a lot that goes into it um a lot behind the scenes that you know that, that you and i probably don't even know about so um they, they do do a lot of work in that regard so um yeah we've we, we've got a really good sports science team so whatever as soon as we know a date we'll um we'll have it down to the minute of when we've got to be right yeah, mate. If there's there's one gripe that super coaches have with the Canberraids, they're generally pretty friendly to super coach, but it's you lot giving false time frames on your on your injury returns and saying blokes are two and three months away and they're back a month later and I think of John Bateman and Geordie Rapanas who are blokes who probably say stuff and I'm right to go anyway. <laughs> but um, Yeah, they're a bit yeah, like that. I don't know if it's just sticky smoke bombs, but fair dinkum. Yeah, look it's 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 tough. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's two pretty good, two pretty well, rapper, especially a really bad example of telling him what to do because he'll just do what he wants. Um, but yeah, look, it's also a, it's it's. I think you know, looking at the big picture, you don't want to you don't want to say something. You know, you don't want to say if, if they think it's going to be eight weeks, you don't want to say six to eight weeks because if they're not right in eight weeks, then the pressure's on everyone. Whereas if you say ten weeks, then and you get it back earlier, then every week earlier is a blessing. So. Yeah, look, look, you don't want to, you know, we've got a really good, um, like I said, medical staff and, and sports science staff and our rehabs, um, yeah, rehab trainers really good as well. So it's, um, yeah, look, you don't, it's, it's probably not putting, you know, you're not putting too much pressure on the, on the player and the, the staff, I guess. And, um, you know, these days, you know, I don't know, I don't, um, know the ins and outs of it all, but I'm pretty sure, um, You've got to name your you got to name your 21 anyway. So if you if you think someone's going to come back and they're naming the 21, um, there's a fair chance they're right, they're nearly right to go. So um, yeah. if you see someone like John Bateman named at 21, um, you know he, he he's a chance of playing. Otherwise, you wouldn't name him the 21 unless you just, that's all the players you got. So um, yeah, I'd look at it that way as well. Yeah, nice mate. And obviously, rough situation for old rapper over there in Japan who. I don't even know if he got to, got to play a game over there after leaving you guys at the end of last year. Mate, there was talk of him trying to come back even sort of before this had all eventuated, but now that the game's been sort of put off over there, it's been put off, put off over here, is there a chance of Rafa coming back into green, or what, what do you reckon? Well, he's at his home. He's in Canberra. Um, to start. He's, he's, to start. He's, he's, about <laughs> 10 days, he's about 10 days into quarantine, so he's even more keen. He, oh, um, oh. Him, and, uh, him and Kelsey come home, yeah, it would have been a week or so ago, and um, they, they've gone into quarantine just out of their house so um, yeah look he'll, I, I don't know what the go is with him I, you know we that's probably you know from the club's behalf that's probably the um, you know the least least of their 
worries and thoughts. Um, Absolutely. You know, thinking, thinking about that sort of stuff. I mean, uh, they've got 30 players contracted already. They've got to worry about, let alone worry about Rapper, with all due respect to Rapper. But um, it would yeah. be great to see him back. We all love Rapper. We, you know, he didn't want to leave. We didn't want him to go. Uh, but unfortunately, that's the way it all works. But um, yeah, it would be great to see him back, no doubt. Yeah, Rafa would be right in isolation. You've watched the Game of Thrones series over about four times in those 10 days. So yeah, <laughs> between them feel, and Lord of the Rings. I feel sorry for Kelsey. <laughs> um, mate, on the, you've had a fair bit to do with sort of the RLPA and NRL talks going on and sort of they're very much ongoing and will be for many months to come. Um, how are you finding them so far and what's your take on them? Yeah, look, it's been uh, been really good. It's obviously been tough. Um, you know, the RLPA, RLPA guys are really working hard and, uh, bending their backs to make sure everyone's looked after, and um, you know, I'm while I'm involved, I I'm not a, a big voice of it all. I don't, I don't know enough to be sticking my nose in. I'm just um, supporting those guys and supporting all the other players. But um, Tommy Simons and Clint Newton are doing a really good job there, and uh, you know, we're very lucky to have CSI at the club, who's you know, with a couple of us are delegates, but CSI is the voice really, and um, you know, he's been working really well with them all, and. Um, filtering down through to the boys as well, which has kept us positive and kept us, you know, happy at the moment. So, uh, look, they're doing a great job. They're working hard with the NRL. The NRL's working hard. Um, look, everyone's working hard. The Prime Minister's working hard. So it's <laughs> it's a tough situation. Um, I take my hat off to the people that are, you know, right, deeply involved in it and the people that are affected more so because, um, you know, we, we sit there and, you know, worry about it all. But... Um, worry about not playing footy for you know which is which is weird and tough but um, there's a lot of people lining up at Centrelink which is you know very very sad and um, you know we try not to take it too much for granted you, you know there's people there's always someone worse off than you so we're trying to remain positive and um, nice and upbeat about it. Yeah, that's it, mate. Well said. It uh, puts everything in context pretty well. Um, couple of couple of quick questions from the fans and we'll let you go. Uh, Wade Spear, Wade Spear asked on social media. You know how G'd up the boys would have been following the grand final last year, loss last year. You were two, two from two to start the season. How hard is it to stay motivated to train week to week knowing you don't really have a game to play each weekend and you don't know how long that's going to be? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's tough to... You know, for me personally, um, and I can get most of the players are the same, it's, it's nearly... It's not like you, we're remaining fit and strong, but mentally I've switched... You know, you switch off from... The, the knit and grit of training and the grind and the game and um, yeah. you know all the, all the principles of footy. Um, you know, I'd, you know, I'm trying to switch off. Like I said, I'm just training, but when I'm training, doing fitness or running or whatever, it's just just to keep fit and healthy. It's um, it's just nothing like being at training. So it's probably a good little period now, knowing that I think it was June or July minimum best case scenario. We're not playing footy till so I think it's time to switch off from footy. Um, and you know, it's a really good time for me. My wife's 28 weeks pregnant, and um, we've got painters and the renovations going on at the house at the moment so it's it's probably a good time for all that for happen to me to be away from footy to be honest but it's um yeah look it's it's never a good time to to be away from footy but um i think to answer your question there is um just just switching off and switching on which is something we're really good at throughout the whole year and that can just be a day off or an afternoon off before training um obviously this is a long and a tough period so um, I think it's a good little period to, to bunker down and you know spend time with your family because you obviously can't go anywhere, but um, probably get your mind away from footy because there's going to be a time in whether it's four or five or six weeks when you're back into training and it's all guns blazing again and, and the season rolls on. So uh, probably a good little time to relax now and switch off and just keep fit. Yeah, good shout, mate. Um, two more for you, then we'll let you go. 
Guy James asks, who's the toughest bloke you've ever played with or against? I've got half an idea who this might be, but who have you got for us? <laughs> um, I can never split these two. Um, yeah, Alan Tung and, and Joshy Miller. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Playing with those guys there. One, one oh, well, Tungy's tough, Joshy's tough too, but Joshy's mad as a cut snake as well. So, um, <laughs> mate, they're, they're two of the toughest and, and most genuine, nicest blokes I've played with as well as two of the toughest and hardest and fittest and you name it, mate, it was them too. So, I've uh, got so much respect for those two guys. Um, so, yeah, I'll, it'll be tough to beat them in my career. Yeah, nice, mate. And then Jeremy Miller asks, which players are back on the tools at the moment and who's complaining about it? Um, <laughs> not hard to know who can be complaining. Elliot White, <laughs> he, does, he just whinges about everything. I don't even know what he's doing, but he'll whinge. And, um, mate, you only have to open up his Instagram account and find out where he is every 15 minutes. He's like, we, call him, we, we call him Big Brother. He's like, Big Brother's always watching you. Um, <laughs> Or Fox Sports. The boys are calling him Fox Sports there for a while. He's just filming everything. So um, I don't know what he's doing, but get on Instagram and he'll tell you. Um, a couple of other boys have talked about it, but um, and I think a few boys are helping out mates and um, that sort of stuff. I don't actually know who's. You know, I know a lot of boys have got qualifications. Um, you know, as to who started work, and I'm not too sure at the moment, mate. It's um, like we said, we don't really know what we're doing yet, but um, if, you, if we are going to be working and doing that stuff, it'll probably be in the next in the in the short term uh, near future. Yeah, nice mate. I heard uh, I heard Sam Williams might be out on the he's shearing out in bigger about half an hour from Goulburn out there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Call it, he's called we call it a pillow farm out there. He's out there testing all the pillows. He's sleeping <laughs> twenty three hours a day. Oh, <laughs> it's a disgrace. He's, he's out helping. Uh, he's out at Ash obviously, and uh, yeah, the only good thing he's done out there this week is shaved his head. Yeah, shaved his head. Mate. Hopefully, he's getting a few bit of advice from old. Old Ash Gilbert on how to play in the grand final for the Rages and sort out this shit for us. <laughs> yeah, I'd, um, I'd imagine Hooter would be giving it to him. <laughs> all right, cheers, Craig. That's all good. Thanks for joining us, mate. Appreciate it. No worries. Thanks for having me, mate. Thanks to the skipper for having a chat with us. We'll get him back on later in the year. Guys, we'll jump to a couple of quick questions, then we'll wrap it up for tonight. First one here, really good question, Ashley. You can bring in change one scoring play in Supercoach. What is it? Spy, I'll start with you. Okay, I've thought about this one for a while, and it's probably a little bit contentious, but how about something for one-on-one try-saving tackles? Maybe worth eight points, something like that. It's obviously going to be fullbacks most of the time. You'd have to have a think about how you policed it. For example, you might have to have only try-saving tackles within five metres of the line. It would have to have come off a line break and stuff like that. But in the same way as try-assists, Triasis can be hard to judge at times and do make some people angry and happy and all the rest. This could be very similar, but there's plenty of ones that fullbacks make, especially Teddy and Tommy in particular, that are just clear-cut tri-savers, and you go, how good's that? That's a big game-changer, and they don't get rewarded for it outside the one point for a tackle. So that's my thoughts. Yeah, I don't... I like what you're saying, and they've tried to do it with the, the held-up in gold to a degree and that sort of thing. It's just having worked within News Corp and having a bit of a say in the scoring system and trying to nut it out and looking at all the complaints, people just want transparency. They hate grey areas. And if you're trying to bring in that rule, it's just it's going to be so grey and people are going to get annoyed and people are going to lose grand finals because of a one or two point swing here Ooh. or there. But yeah, in, there might be in, in saying all that, uh, when asked the question, you gave us a little bit of a heads up on this one because it is a good question. Uh, I actually really like the scoring system. I think it's fantastic overall. Yeah, I like it too. Wilson, if you change anything? 
Yeah, well, actually, um, when you first got me onto Twitter for um, for this stuff, I actually tweeted it out, I think, and you, you had some interesting responses. But my two that I would um, add to the game would be the one-on-one rake. I reckon it'd be worth about seven points. Now, that might seem a bit high, but they're pretty rare. Um, it'd make certainly Josh Hodson a lot more relevant if he, if he you know, did it at the same um, speed that he did it last year. But I, I think the one-on-one rake is easy to judge. You know, like you, you, the, a player gets a penalty conceded if he rakes the ball out, So and there's more than two in it or it's after the, they've called held or whatever's like that. So they get penalised for it, but they don't get – it's such a big play when they change possession. They, they should get points for it, and I think it should be seven. The other one that I believe should come in – which is a little bit more subjective, is um, a forced error in defence. Um, I actually should come in as an NRL stat. Um, so consider last year, I think uh, Jake Trebojevic did a tackle on maybe like Corey Thompson or someone like that, was running the ball back. He hit him underneath the ball. They coughed it up. Someone picked up the ball and scored a try. They ended up giving it a try assist, which was quite controversial. Uh, yeah, yeah. Remember that? Do you remember that? I do. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. So it was like a like everyone was like, how do how did they give that a try assist? And there was people like, yes, it should have been a try assist. I actually think there should be um, probably three to four points for a forced error, like someone who does it through contact, or possibly does it through pressure like so someone like a josh reynolds runs up out of the line and then someone looks up and they drop the ball that's probably maybe too subjective maybe you have to make a contact but certainly yeah kick uh, kick, yeah that's what i mean you puts pressure on them to kick out on the full yeah they've forced an error um any any forced error i think is is worthy of probably three to four super coach points yeah that's it and really good shouts Again, it, and you nailed it, it just comes back to being subjective and such a grey area and people just want clear-cut decisions so that there's there are no blow-ups, no arguments. They know what they're awarded for, but good ideas. The only – I really like the point-scoring system and this isn't a change for scoring players such, but the one thing about the game I would change, which I've, I've tried to have a bit of a say in the past to no avail, but players' prices need to change from round one not from round three, because you take these flyers on on pods who go big and they have two weeks going big and then people jump on the bandwagon. You don't get any financial gain for it. You get a bit of a points gain, but particularly with cheapies, left field cheapies that you go for who happen to do well, um, I really do think that, that they should be – they have a break – players have a break even to start the year based on what happened the year before. Um, I'd, I'd love to see that. Any arguments there or – I couldn't agree more. They do it in the Big Bash, and it's great because you have to nail it straight away. Yeah. And like you said, it really rewards people then that take a fire. So Wilson took Nofaluma round one. He turned up, and maybe he increases on his price of 600K. So I'm a huge fan. Yeah, I'm in two minds about that. And I probably lean the other way, only purely because um, the NRL.com fantasy has that system currently in place. And I, I'm not anywhere near as committed to that as, um, uh, you know, as a super coach. That's that's my game of choice. But um, 
I find it really difficult, but it does have a different scoring system as well, which is a bit more convoluted, you know, when you've been playing Supercoach for a number of years. But I think it's really hard to manoeuvre your team when it's like that, the way the way the NRL.com one's set up. So I do prefer Supercoach because, you know, you do have that little bit of leeway, I guess. Yeah. Maybe yep. you could do every two weeks rather than three. Some possibly, kind of yeah. Possibly that could be a good that could be a good um, you know medium in between, yeah. Yep. The Cashos has asked us on Instagram, quite a lengthy question, but basically he says, "Now I I think how is it fair that players that have been bought into in in round two with round three in mind? Uh, not real well worded, but." With this break, a lot of injured players will come back, making players like Flegler, Horsburgh, Carrigan, etc., not really worth it. And it's really frustrating that he's brought them in now. So I don't know what the exact question there is, but I'll take this one. <laughs> I feel your pain, brother. But I mean, <laughs> what are we going to do? This is this is a situation that's a bit bigger than um, having a few lads in Supercoach. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did coronavirus not not think about our the Horsburgh owners? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and look, there's going to be a lot of weird things about Supercoach that come back and frustrating things, things that annoy us a little. We think, oh, this cost me or this cost me. Look, no one can plan what's going on right now, and that's that's going far wider than Supercoach and Rugby League. So we've just got to work with the cards we've been dealt, and, and that's that. We'll, we'll be right. We'll get through it together. Um, another one from Instagram, Johnny Leopis. Apologies for pronunciation. Is it a priority to get Coruscant over Braley? I can only do this by selling Lomax to Tyrell Fuimaono. What are your thoughts, Spy? I definitely get Appy Coruscant. You need him in now because he's going to jump heaps in price and you're probably going to need him for the rest of the year, barring any injuries. And look, Lomax, I'm not big on at all. I actually dropped him before round two. And, mate, if he's playing on the wing, he's a good goal kicker and he does run the ball, but I think there's much better options. So, happy for me. What do you reckon, Walson? Yeah, do it. That sounds like a good trade. I mean, I, I, I'm high on both those players he's bringing in. For my own, yeah, it remains to be seen what his minutes are going to be like, but, geez, his output's been pretty good in a pretty ordinary um, St. George side and, you know, Chorus has a must, in my opinion. Mate, Fuimo Ono could be the one that got away, but I'm not keen on him at all. The way I see it, Cam McGuinness is going to be back by the time he's back. They've already said that he's going to be spending time in the back row. Tarek Sims is going to be back. They're not going to start Fuimo Ono at centre. Um, I just see a logjam of forwards there. There's, I mean, I don't know. There's a reasonable enough chance that Jack DeBellin might be back by the time the competition returns. I just don't see the minutes really opening up for Fuimaono, so I'm not keen on him. But, again, he, he could come back, play 60 minutes off the bench and earn hundreds of thousands of dollars. But we'll wait and see, won't we? I think yeah. the biggest one there is to, to – I think it was Johnny that asked it was, you need Appy in more than anything. That was probably more the, the lead question there, and that's what I think's huge. Yeah, I'm with you there, definitely. If you can get Appy in, or you, you have to get Appy in at his price. Um, and lucky last – how big an impact is it playing the Storm in Supercoach in your eyes? We saw players like Turbo and SJ flop against them already. At what point do you sit players playing against the Storm? What are your thoughts there, Wilson? Oh, yeah, it's, it's always risky when you sit players. I mean, SJ flop, but if you look historically at SJ's record against the 
form, super coach wise, he's, he's one of the better players in the competition. So, um, yeah, I think I think he's got some merit there. But I, I actually don't see the Storm as as that formidable defensive side as they were. Um, I was really impressed with their center. Uh, I know I sort of digress sometimes. Who, who's that center that they put in front of Branko Lee? What's his name again? Um, I think he finished the season there. Um, Bloody, uh, not not Olam, the, the other bloke. Seve? Seve, yeah. Jeez, yeah. Oh, he made some outstanding reads in defense in uh, the game that I was watching. Um, but, yeah, and I'm guessing that's why they went him over Branko Lee, who's, who's struggled a bit defensively. Um, I, I don't see Melbourne as as a really formidable defensive side. Um, yeah, I think if you were playing Melbourne at home, maybe you'd sit someone, but you would never sit a marquee player. No, uh, yeah. no I think so. I think that's a really good differentiation you've made there. Don't sit your marquee players, but if it's a centre wing or a, you know, maybe a 300k a mid range you've got on your side, I'd nearly always be sitting them against the Storm. Um, but your marquee players, they're there for a reason, no matter who they're playing, so get them in. Um, Spy, what are your thoughts there? Oh, we've discussed it before. I've mentioned it. Melbourne terrify me in Supercoach playing against them. But as you said, you can't be sitting your marquee guys. They're in your side for a reason, like you mentioned. But like you said, if there's someone's in the centres and you've got another option who's playing a weaker side, then I'd definitely be not playing the person playing against Melbourne because they are scary at times. No worries, mate. All right, that's all for this week, guys. We thought we'd keep it short this week with uh, no actual NRL on, but we weren't even close to it. <laughs> Expect much of the same in coming weeks. Thanks, Spy. Thanks, mate. Yeah, hope everyone enjoyed listening. We just love our footy at the moment and really missing it. Thanks, Wilson. Yeah, thanks, boys. Make sure you get those edits in, Timmy. <laughs> I'll, I'll remember this week, mate. I've got plenty of time to do it. <laughs> All right, cheers, I, just don't want to, I just don't want one of the, the kids ringing me and going, oh, you missed the Carlos. You said the F word. <laughs> 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 Never. <laughs> All right. Cheers, guys. Hey, thanks, boys. See you later.